five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. I'm Mark Boucher. In this week's podcast, my special guest is Mark Bell, CEO of Terran Orbital. Bell is not your typical space CEO. Through Mark Bell Capital, he and his partners have invested in lifestyle companies, tech companies, and even other space companies. Oh, and in his long career, he's also won a Tony Award and Grammy Award as a producer for the popular Jersey Boys. Listen in. Let's get started. A lot of people don't know about... uh, Terra and Orbital, even though you've been in the news uh, a lot in the last year. Why don't you just give us a short history of how the company grew from an idea to where it is today? Uh, thank you. So back in uh, 2013, I was out in LA at the Milken Conference. <clears throat> I had a chance to go on a tour of SpaceX's facilities uh, down in Southern California. And I was just marveling at these massive rockets. And uh, I've always been a space nut and a sci-fi nut. And they were showing me how they can launch something the size of a school bus into outer space. And, and then I was thinking to myself, why would anybody build something the size of a school bus? I mean, you know, my iPhone having more computing power than the space shuttle, why would anybody build something that big anymore? And I kind of had an idea, like, you know, how can we make satellites smaller? So when I Googled it, went online, <clears throat> found this thing called the CubeSat that was invented by Dr. Jordi Pugswari and Bob Twiggs. I, uh, Jordy was up in Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. He's a college professor. Bob was up at Stanford. I was in LA. Uh, Jordy was a shorter flight. So I went there first and met with him and uh, asked him if he wanted a job. And he said, yes. And he said, but he's got a small parts company called Tyvek that would have to come along with him. So uh, we acquired Tyvek, merged it into Terran Orbital. And that was the uh, beginning of my journey. <laughs> not too many people will go out there and say, well, you know, CubeSats, I'm going to go out and get the, the guys who created this stuff and, and, and build a new company. So that's, that, that's something. Um, now, I, I suppose you've answered my second question already, which was, you know, what and when was the trigger that made you realize that man, mass manufacturing of small satellites was a viable business? So I suppose you answered part of it, but you know, I, we this originally started off with just idea, uh, an idea. They were selling parts. They weren't really. They were and just starting satellites. So we stopped. We stopped selling parts, and focused on satellites, and really tried to focus on you know what else we could do from space. It was all about solving problems from space. We got on a number of NASA programs. Uh, then we started looking towards the DoD for what other work we could do there, and uh, things started snowballing. We started getting more and more orders for more and more satellites. And um, it was, it's exciting. It's a very exciting time for us. Uh, yeah, and, and small sats, uh, especially in the last, uh, what are we, 2022? So I'd say at least the last seven to eight years have, have really started to uh, explode, if you will, in terms of uh, market growth. So you, 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 you took Tyvek, which I'm sure people are aware of, uh, and then in 2019, you uh, acquired uh, Predisar, uh, which I totally understand because of the technology, but uh, maybe you can explain uh, to the audience uh, what prompted you uh, to make that acquisition. Uh, so uh, a little bit self-serving because I also founded Predisar. And okay, there you go. <laughs> so we decided we were going to try to go public 
and I would bring uh, my two biggest holdings in space together, uh, being Predestar and uh, Tyvek, both under the terminal little roof. So Tyvek was going to be building the satellites for Predestar. And uh, we felt as a, as, a, as a public company altogether, it made more sense. All right. Your company is going public on the New York Stock Exchange soon under the symbol LLAP. Uh, you're going public via a special purpose acquisition company, specifically the Tailwind 2 Acquisition Corp, which is uh, obviously already listed uh, and, you know, started off as a $10 uh, price, and it's been basically there up until uh, today. Um, so SPOCs have become popular, and they've become very popular with space companies. So... I'm wondering why did, and, and I put this this way, why did you decide to go the SPOC route as opposed to the traditional IPO? And I say it that way because from what I can see from what your company's done, you know, you have more revenue coming in than a lot of these SPOCs do when they, when they get announced. So why go this way and not the traditional IPO way? So it's, that's a great question. So uh, what a SPAC does is it gives us certainty of close uh, versus a traditional IPO. Higher, I should say certainty, higher certainty of close. So, for example, if we tried to go public on February 24th of this year, we would have had what's called a, a market out. Even any time in the past couple of weeks, almost no IPOs have gone out the door because the market is too volatile and it's very difficult. And once you once you have a market out, it's hard to go back. With a SPAC, you have lots of avenues because it's already a public company that you're merging with, and we needed a, we needed a we need capital, and we wanted higher certainty of close. And even though we get a discount for going into a SPAC, we know we will make up that discount with future revenue and programs that we that we have, and we'll be getting. All right. Uh, and then a sort of a, a related question, why pick the New York Stock Exchange over, say, the NASDAQ? You know, we I've listed companies on both, uh, New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. I think between Dan, Sid, and I, this is the 17th company we've been involved with that's gone public. It's our fifth unicorn. Uh, you know, New York Stock Exchange, we think, is a is still, you know, it's globally recognized. And uh, we like the way we like, we just have a better feel about it. I mean, they're both great exchanges. But we decided this this company needed to be on the New York Stock Exchange. All right, all right. So let's go back to my earlier question uh, on some of the technology. Um, when you folded uh, Predisar uh, into um, uh, Terran Orbital uh, with Tyvek, uh, one of the things that you announced uh, along the way was that you're going to build a constellation of 96 synthetic aperture radar satellites. Uh, you know, I've seen, um, uh, I'm familiar with, you know, legacy players like MDA, which don't build a, a lot of SAR uh, satellites, uh, ISI, which is definitely building uh, a lot of SAR satellites, but 96 is a lot. So why such a large uh, synthetic aperture radar constellation? You know, it, it's, it's about revisit rate. So uh, you know, we want to be able to deliver our customer a three to seven minute revisit rate on any place that they want to image. And, you know, we're also, we also look at our satellites. I think, I think uh, MD, I think has two radar sats uh, for SAR, uh, but we're, we're looking for to provide a real time, near real time data back to the DOD and the IC community. 
So this is a, uh, a military-grade constellation. You know, the folks at iSight, which is owned by the Finnish government, you know, that is a much smaller satellite, very low power. The our satellites are going to be much larger and much higher power. So they can image and transit back to the Earth in near real time. Yeah, so that was going to be one of my questions is, uh, you know, you mentioned ISI, uh, you know, the uh, they're trying to, um, you know, put synthetic aperture radar in a smaller satellite platform, which, of course, comes with trade-offs, right? You need power for synthetic aperture radar. So how much bigger are, can you tell me, do you know what the size of your, your satellites are, these SAR uh, satellites yeah, are? We, we've told people right now they're 350 kilograms. Right, okay. Um, which I think is what, is that two or three times larger than eye size? Uh, it's a dramatic difference, I believe. Uh, right, but still smaller than what they used to be, traditional oh, yeah, SAR well, satellite. Well, the, <coughs> everything, you know, what used to cost $10 billion, a billion dollars right. to build costs $10 million today. What used to take eight to 10 years to build now takes uh, you know, 12 to eight to 12 to 24 months. I mean, it, everything's changed. And you know, everybody used to just focus on, you know, Geo, Mio, with very little in Leo. Now you've got tons of people going into Leo. And Leo's got pluses and minuses. You know, Leo is you're circumnavigating the globe at six kilometers a second. You're, you're always on the move versus, sta versus standing still. Um, but and you have, but you only, and but your the costs came down because you're not building them radiation hardened, meaning all, all that radiation from the sun burns out your battery cells. And so they have about a five-year lifespan, but you're trading a uh, lifespan for cost. And by having it, but the, the benefit of having to refresh every five years is you always have the newest technology in orbit. Have you publicly said what, uh, what one of these, one of your SAR satellites costs? What we say is that it'll cost us $20 million to build, launch, and operate a satellite over a five-year period. And we expect to get about $100 million of revenue per satellite over that same five-year period. $20 million. In, in, in thinking back 10 years ago or five years ago even, that's cheap. <laughs> inexpensive. We try to yeah, okay, cheap. yeah, inexpensive. <laughs> Wrong choice of words. Uh, and, and if we can get satellite uh, launch costs down even further, hey. Um, so... Uh, when when's the first uh, satellite expected to go up for the constellation or first batch of satellites? Because nobody launches just one these days of these size. They're usually done in batches, right? Right. Well, well there's no, it's just because you want to build them as, as, as uh, in, a, in a cadence uh, as you know, yeah. as cost effective. Uh, we're looking right now Q4 of this year and uh, to start putting them up. And we are um, you know excited to get the whole constellation up as soon as possible. Okay, but no numbers on how many are going up Q4. Uh, right now, we're targeting uh, two satellites for Q4. Sorry, how many? We're targeting two for Q4. Okay. And have you um, announced a, a launch provider? Uh, we have not, but it most likely, we, we, SpaceX is our, our, our preferred ride across the board. Right. Okay. And they're busy these days, and they're going to get busier. Um, so, I don't know if this is a, a fair question, but what differentiates Predisar, uh the Predisar constellation from its com competitors, if there are any competitors that are going to provide that kind of uh, coverage. You know, Predisar is unique if you think about the, the in, in a couple aspects. So Predisar, from a competitive standpoint, we are, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a both a Earth observation 
and synthetic aperture radar package satellite in a single package. So we could take pictures, uh, imagery, and do SAR in, a, in the same pass. We are able to and then integrate those pictures together, those images together. We are, if you add up all the, you know, all the new space uh, EO constellations and add up all the new space SAR constellations being built, you take, if you add up all those satellites combined on a pure mass basis, we're larger than almost everybody combined. I mean, it's a big satellite. And that big satellite is able to produce big results. And, you know, we're, we're not building a satellite for commercial purposes. When I say commercial, we're not, you know, selling it for agriculture or things like that. We can, don't get me wrong, but our focus is on the DOD and the IC market. And they need, you know, they need data quickly and they need data uh, uh, at a high resolution and they need it now. And they need a bigger satellite to do that. All right. So that might answer my next question is that you are you going to be going after any of the foreign market or are you just sticking to DOD? No, we're, right now, right now we're going to stick to the U S marketplace. Uh, and then we'll, we'll see where that takes us. But the, there's a lot, there's a lot of demand you, you see in the Ukraine right now, there's a lot of demand for imagery, especially SAR because, you know, the Ukraine being the breadbasket of Europe, you know, I think 40% of all wheat and barley are grown in, for Europe in the Ukraine. And Ukraine has, is a traditionally uh, not the greatest weather because, you know, being the breadbasket, it's always raining and it's always cloudy. And, and that doesn't make for a good, that makes SAR even more valuable because we get, SAR can see at night, it can see through clouds. So you can have true 24 seven ISR that you can't get on traditional uh, electro-optical satellites. So uh, going back to the uh, merger with uh, Tailwind, um, with respect to the actual Tailwind portion of your roadshow, um, how's that been going? And, and considering what current global conditions are, uh, have you had to change your presentations at all? Or are you just, people are just really interested? You know, we are who we are. And, you know, the good news is we have a very creative uh, arrangement with Francisco Partners, Beach Point, and Lockheed to support the DSPAC process, which gives us access to uh, significant amounts of capital. And uh, so we are, you know, but the you know, markets are definitely rough out there. Don't get me wrong, but we will have enough. We will have enough cash on close to continue forward with our plan. Right. Yeah, and I have noted that you, you, you compared to a lot of Spocs, recent space box, uh, you have a lot more contracts under your belt. Uh, and some cash uh, that you'll be able to uh, tap into. So um, in terms of manuf uh, manufacturing, you've primarily been manufacturing in California. Uh, now you're going to upgrade those facilities in California, but you've also got uh, this huge uh, facility that you're now uh, planning in Florida. Uh, how, is, uh, how is the... Uh, Florida facility coming along when, when I, I, I'm afraid I, I haven't uh, I don't know if you've actually even broken ground yet on that no nope, uh, we haven't broken ground and the plan isn't to break ground until after we despack so space Florida's funding doesn't go into place until a couple of months after we despack and so tell me a little bit about that facility I mean how is it how does it compare to the one in California are they two different uh, types of facilities or are they complementary it's uh, 660,000 square feet. It's able to produce a thousand small sats a year. It's uh, it's a big facility, and and we do everything under one roof. We build our components, we build, we do our uh, assembly, we do uh, everything under one roof. 
it's really going to be an amazing, amazing complex. So like you said, the facility is capable of ramping up to produce a thousand satellites a year. Um, when, when do you expect the facility to open? Uh, we're hoping about 36 months after we break ground. That is that, that, that it, it really depends on how fast contractors move and stuff. You know, it could be sooner, could be later. Um, it all depends on the construction market at that point. And uh, 36 months, so basically uh, three years from sometime later this year. Correct. Right. Okay. Um, in the meantime, um, you're upgrading your California facilities, but how many satellites can you produce in the California facilities right now? Uh, we're looking to be able to produce, uh, with the new building, uh, over 200 satellites a year out of that facility. And, and how many can you produce now on a monthly basis? Um, we I mean, we're able to meet all of our commitments. Everything that we have on contract now, we're able to meet in the existing facilities. So, um, but, and, but, we are, but we're building for the future. So we will continue to get more. We continue to get more and more programs. And we, and we want to bring in printed circuit board and print, manufacturing and printed circuit board assembly we want to bring in. So we are uh, very busily bringing things in. All right. Um, okay, so between the Tailwinds uh, merger and your previous investments, including from Lockheed Martin, uh, the last figure I had was that you were expecting to raise about 395 million. Is that still uh, correct? That, yeah, uh, it's what, uh, yes, yes, four is, you know, the cash and trust is 345. We have a pipe for a little bit more than 50, um, but you don't know where redemptions are going to be. And that's right. where, uh, that, that we'll find out that number next week. Okay. Um, so aside from the new manufacturing facility in Florida and the upgrade in, in California, what else do you anticipate spending the money on, if anything? And uh, do your plans include any additional acquisitions post merger with Tailwinds? Yes, absolutely. We are very actively looking at other companies to acquire finding other strategic things we can do. So we're very, very busily uh, talking to people as we speak. And in terms of what else you're gonna spend the money on, anything else? You know, we're spending on just growth. We mostly spend it on people. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's people, it's facilities and, uh, you know, and innovation. We'll continue to innovate and build new, build new products and build new components. We make 85% uh, of our components in-house right now. We want to get as close as we can to 100% over the next 36 months. And we want to continue to innovate the components that we have as well to make them better, to make them more sophisticated. Uh, you know, it's, it's like upgrading your iPhone. We want to we upgrade our components. In terms of acquisitions, do you think now, based on the current economy, based on current global events, now is a time we're going to see more consolidation more, uh, you know, especially from companies like yourselves acquiring a lot of these startups. I mean, there's a lot of startups out there. Well, you know, we, my industry, you know, we're the, we're the largest manufacturer of small sets in the U.S. that's independent currently. All my compatriots have already been acquired. Blue, Raytheon bought Blue Canyon, Canyon, Boeing purchased Millennium. We're the last guys left. I mean, there really isn't anybody else kicking around. As far as, as you know, so we do, and we see on the Constellation side, you know, you see a lot of people that one trick ponies. They are people who rolled into SPACs that probably shouldn't have, shouldn't have been. You know, they don't have a, they don't have a business plan. They don't have customers. They don't have a path to profitability, and and they're building satellites that you know they're all trying to do the exact same thing in space. And uh, you know, it's definitely gonna you're definitely gonna see some consolidation one way or the other 
over the next year. Now, in, in terms of uh, your current budget, um, what percentage do you actually spend on R&D? And are there any technologies, that, uh, new technologies that you're exploring that, that you think are exciting? Well, we don't discuss our budget because uh, not in the S4, uh, so forgive me. And, but we can, uh, with hopefully post-spec, I'll have a lot more freedom to actually talk about things. Um, the same goes with new technologies. We have some very, very cool things uh, that I would love to talk to you when I come back. And then uh, and have like give you a preview of some of the cool things we're working on. Just uh, the SEC says I can't do it right now. All right. <laughs> well, it's an excuse for another podcast. It, exactly. And but it's worth it's a good it's a great question. I'm dying to answer it because uh, we are working on some very cool things. Uh, yeah, I'm always on the lookout for you know what people are exploring in new technology. So we'll 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 put that one aside. Um, ah. So I think it was just two days ago or something like that, you got awarded the uh, Space Development Agency's Tranche 1 uh, transport layer. At least you got a, a, a contract in support of that from Lockheed Martin. Um, that contract will see uh, your subsidiary TIVAC uh, nanosatellite systems build 42 satellites. Uh, York, Space, Northrop Grumman, uh, they're each getting 42 as well. Do you see yourself having any advantages over York or Northrop for future SDA opportunities? Sure. Uh, I mean, York is great. Uh, you should Google uh, working York satellites in space and Google French war victories at the same time, and you'll get the same okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. It was... <laughs> So uh, York, York, York is getting lots of contracts, but we don't see any satellites being launched, and uh, we're all waiting. And uh, we we hope we hope that we hope they're going to be successful because we believe rising tides raises all ships. But right now they haven't. The right now we haven't seen anything come out of them. It's making us all worried. Uh, yeah, if you can't back it up with a launch uh, and getting something in orbit, then that's uh, that's not good for anybody. Yeah. Well, anyway, because you know, people look at people look at us as a sector, not just as a company. So they they always talk about you know all these new space companies, and you know we're we're a defense company. You know we're aerospace and defense. We're not new space, and but these all but we get we get unfortunately put in this new space basket that we don't want to be, because these new space companies are all missing their numbers. They're you know they report to the street and they miss a month later. Um, they are um, they they're having regulatory issues uh, with the SEC. And you know we don't want to be part of that community. Uh, these are guys, these are companies that never should have gone public. Wow. <laughs> I'm just all, saying, I'm you, calling it the way I see it, which is what I do. Uh, which is interesting because um, you know you don't consider yourself what I would call or what you call a new space company. Uh, maybe it's it's semantics, uh, but um, I would categorize you as a new. Uh, you know, not one word new space, but new at space company, uh, because you're relatively new and you're 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 in the small sat area. But I understand where you're coming from, uh, and as and, and you know, and taking into account, you know, like you said, you know, people don't know in our pre-interview, people don't know what you, what your your stock symbol is going to be at this point because it's not out there. No, it actually uh, actually it is out there. We just haven't it, publicized it. Right, right. You just haven't publicized it. But you know, I track all the new spocks right which have a lot of new space companies in it 
and you know, not doing so well. Because they're all one trick ponies. See, we, we're a manufacturer. So we build 5G, internet of things, imaging, radar, uh, anything you can do from space, we do it. All, most of these companies have gone public. They do one single thing. They're trying to do electro-optical imaging, just take pictures of the earth, and that's it. And they're building satellites that based on designs that we did 10 years ago. And, you know, and, you know, they're, they're, they're a decade behind technology wise. And they, and they are all falling into the trap that just because it's cheap and just cause it's small, it's better. And that's not the way it works. It's only better if it produces a higher quality image than anything else that you can be done in that form factor. So, so we look at ourselves as who the mark, and we, we're, we don't operate constellations. We, are, we build satellites for everybody. We are gonna build a constellation called Predisar that we're gonna own, but that came out of a program for a customer that they were gonna build one and we decided we'll build it and sell them data. But you know, there is an incredible, there are incredible opportunities here uh, for people like us, because we're payload agnostic. Everybody, all these public companies, they've got one payload and this is what they're doing. And most of them are doing the same thing and they're not doing it very well. And they're all going there that same pool of money and you know, and they really they don't realize that they, they the government doesn't want to be supporting these companies. And most constellations historically have gone bankrupt. You got to think about it. You know, you had Iridium, you had Emirates, you had all these companies all go bust. And the DoD doesn't want to have to keep bailing people out, but they want the images, so they're put into a situation that they have to give these com com companies money to keep them going. And uh, in our case, you know, we have access to lots of customers. Uh, that we can do. We do do commercial work. So we're, we build satellites for Echo Star, for example. We built their last three satellites. You know, so we'll, be, we'll build satellites you know, for large corporates, and, uh, but we're not, we're not, we don't build a lot of satellites for startups. It's, uh, we want someone to be fully funded. It's gonna be around in a year. Who also has a business plan that we feel, and as a venture investor, I feel that they can, they have a sustainable business plan. They're not just, they're not, they're not, they're not trying to mine asteroids and bring it back to the earth, they're actually something that's going to make money today. So here's a question for you that, that's more personal, in that, like you said, uh, at one point during our conversation, you've been part of, I think you said 17 companies going public, four that have become unicorns. Um, are you planning, obviously you're planning now, but I mean, you know, you said you're a space guy. Uh, is, this, is this a company that you're going to stay with for quite a bit, you know, foreseeable future. That is my goal. This is it. This is my last stop. I'm getting old. And I realized this, I'm not, this is a young man's game. And I'm realizing this, that I signed up for five years. Uh, with my, my, I took my partner's spot and I agreed to stick on board for five years. So they, they have me for five years. And after that, I said, when I turned 60, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm going to be like Logan's run and just age out. <laughs> I'm going to go to carousel and I'm going to be done. <laughs> and I appreciate the fact that you get the joke because nobody's gotten it so far. <laughs> yeah, anybody under what uh, forty won't get the joke. <laughs> yeah, it's a sad uh, world we live in. <laughs> classic movie, classic movie. <laughs> so uh, good. It's a little older. Carousel is twenty-five. I'll be sixty, but you know, it's it's good enough. Uh, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here until I'm sixty, and after that, uh, they're everyone. They're on their own. All right. 
Uh, thank you, Mark, for, for your time. I know you're, you're really busy uh, getting this uh, merger done. Uh, I'm going to be uh, keeping a close eye on it because I, you know, fascinating company. Great. Thank you very much for your time. Well, let's wrap on this episode. Your feedback is very much appreciated. You can send us comments or a guest recommendation to podcast at spaceq.ca. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at The Economy Space. And you can also support the podcast by writing a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. Until next time.